Old School Lane Casual Chat is brought to you by Old School Lane, producing various content from blogs, videos, and podcasts discussing about movies, TV shows, video games, and everything else in between since 2011. You can check out the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and YouTube. We're associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Aaron Meta Show. <laughs> everyone welcome to a new episode of casual chats i am patricia and i am back with chris aka rowdy c welcome back chris yo and hello so today we're going to be checking off another disney era off of our list with talking about the disney wartime era so uh, for those who haven't been tuning into our discussions uh, disney fans like to compile all the disney films and divide it into seven different eras we've talked about the golden silver bronze renaissance and post-renaissance we only have two left and we're going to be talking about what a lot of people have debatably say may be one of the weakest if not the weakest out of the eras of uh, films and that is the disney time war era that happened during the 1940s and we've briefly touched this around the golden era that when Snow White came out, it was a big hit, and then Pinocchio and Fantasia didn't exactly make the amount of money that it was supposed to, despite its expenses. And then World War II broke out, there was a huge strike, and as we can see from the last decade or so, that was when the Disney animators had to cut back a little bit and just focus on either one of two movies. They either had to do two uh, shorts and then compile it into one film or they had to just have like a whole bunch of shorts and try to emulate what they did with Fantasia so today we're going to be talking about six films well I mean I guess if you want to call it films but I guess for some people it's like it's just shorts into films or just two 30 minute films compiled into one hour whatever so the first one we're going to be talking about is saludos amigos which came out uh just believe it or not on february 6 1943 so as of the release of this podcast is going to be celebrating its anniversary so yeah why don't you give us some feedback on what your thoughts of are the wartime era well i'm gonna tell you this yeah yeah this right now and i hate to have to start off like this of the wartime films of disney's animated uh lineup this is for the, the only one that i still have yet to actually watch but i do still have some interesting uh topics in regards to this movie if if uh, the audience is willing to hear this oh yeah um, go for it you're not aware that it was back around uh, around when i was 
uh, becoming a teenager and whatnot in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, when Disney really started promoting like just how many animated full-length feature films they had made. As in, like, the first time I ever heard of it when they was when they uh, advertised that Oliver and Company was the 27th um, animated motion picture they had, that Beauty and the Beast was their 30th. So what, what, what but hearing that, like, uh, my family and I, my sister and my mother and everything, we kept trying to make our own lists of what all of those films were. And I can tell you that uh, uh, we, we never, uh, back then, we were never able to come up with all 30. And I can tell you for certain, the, uh, just about all of the films we missed came from the wartime era. And I can absolutely show you that, tell you that Saludos Amigos was absolutely one of the ones we never end up knowing because I actually was not aware of its existence until, oh, probably such as a few years ago, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it is one I probably. Should probably check out on Disney Plus in one way or another. But yeah, this is probably, I'm willing to bet, uh, this is the one that's probably going to escape a lot of the viewers' uh, memories more than just about anyone else. Yeah, let's be honest. It's not really a animated film that you would traditionally know about. It's more or less like a 43-minute documentary of the Disney animators going over to many countries over in Central and South America so that they can be able to do some goodwill towards the countries. So, yeah, they were sent by the U.S. government so that they can be able to visit these places so that they can be able to uh, bring peace over towards the countries, especially since around World War II, they were definitely leaning more towards pro-Nazi. And so because of the trip that they were able to make and getting to know the locals and getting to know all the political people that were over there at the time, they were able to gain some goodwill towards all the countries that they visited. So a lot of the places that they went to was, um, let's see, we had Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, and Chile. And a lot of the animators got an inspiration from a lot of the locals and they were able to get stuff such as clothes and explanations on the culture and having the opportunity to see what their lives are like and getting uh, basically for I'm sure a lot of people who were tuning in a look into Latin American culture that they probably would have never gotten otherwise, unless, of course, if they traveled over there. So the first segment is takes place in Lake Titicaca, where we have Donald Duck meeting up with the locals. We have Pedro, which is about an airplane that is flying in from San Diego, Chile to Mendoza so he can get some mail. El Gacho Goofy, which is played off like a Goofy short where it explains about how Goofy is a cowboy from Texas. And then he's learning about what the gauchos are, which are basically kind of like the equivalent of cowboys or horsemen in U Uruguay. And then finally, we have Aquarel de Brazil, which is the first introduction of a pretty iconic character especially for those who follow these groups of birds we have jose carioca and he would be featured in another film which we'll talk about in just a moment so um he introduces yeah, i will say this uh like i said while i have yet i will say that while i have not ever seen this uh film in full i ha i will point out there is at least one of those shorts i did uh ha have seen in my past that is the one 
about Pedro, the, the the airplane and his mission. And Alex Price is something I'm probably going to be uh, saying quite a bit throughout uh, this edition, is that my number one source of most of these uh, of these wartime films was, e even the ones that I have actually seen, I can't exactly say I saw them in full, so to speak. Most of my viewing was when they broke up the um that the animated segments from a lot of these movies and aired them as part of the uh kind of the cartoon compilation shows that aired in the early years of the Disney Channel and its fledgling years the uh, uh, the shows like Good Morning Mickey and Donald Duck Presents mm -hmm. and those type of uh sh shows that came on there they did air those segments like uh Pedro uh quite a bit in those in fact also they also believe it or not aired i know this job is going off tangent here but they also aired quite a bit of the uh old charles fleischer comic cartoons back on those shows because apparently uh because they had fallen into public domain as i now figure out so disney was able to get them there with for a little trouble but yeah I, there was at least one segment that i did see from this particular movie thanks to the advent of the disney channel uh, in its fledgling years yeah, and I guess we can't talk about Pedro without bringing up the fact that Rene Rios Bottiguer, who was a very well-known cartoonist in Chile, he wasn't very happy with the depiction of Pedro, so he decided to create his own character called Condorito, and it became, since then, one of the most iconic characters featured in Latin American countries. So I guess it's kind of like how, you know, some people were able to get influences from Disney and then turn them into characters, and then they became iconic in their own right. Um, see the example of Astro Boy. But um, the only difference was is that, you know, the creator of Astro Boy was more fond of, you know, Disney, but I digress. Anyway, so yeah, I would say that if you are interested in learning more information about this and the next film we're going to be talking about, I highly recommend that you check out a documentary called Walt and El Grupo, which is a, like literally a full length documentary talking about the animators and Disney himself going over to these countries during World War II and learning about the culture of all of these countries and it's really interesting and they cover everything they cover the strike they cover the fact that disney was going through a lot of stress at the time they cover the fact that a lot of the wives of the animators were really sad when their husbands had to go they cover the fact that um mary blair was really wanting to go to this trip because she wanted to learn about the the styles of the the country itself a very interesting documentary i highly recommend that you watch it and also i think that for anybody who is interested in watching saludos amigos as mentioned before it is on disney plus so don't expect a, a a disney film that you would be like more familiar with like with the story and with like characters and stuff like that i mean especially with the movies we're going to be talking about in this podcast this Due to the fact that there was a lot of things happening, especially with World War II, where the European market was going over towards that, the, Disney had to cut their losses with, I mean, even with the strike, even though that it was able to 
kind of settle itself after like five or six weeks, a lot of people were fired from it, even the people who were on strike and even the people who were working there. Unfortunately, when that happened, you know, you have, you know, people who did lose their jobs. Some of them never did animation again, while others went over to MGM, others went over to Universal. So they were able to get themselves back in their footing. But still, I mean, the fact that it had to be at this point where it was like, you know, a lot of the animators were paid high bill while the ink and painters were paid really, really low. It just goes to show you about the importance of unionizing. I mean, I can't believe that after over 80 years since this happened, it's still pretty relevant where there's a lot of animation studios that are still getting unionized. I mean, literally, like, as of the making of this, Nickelodeon just unionized, like, two weeks ago. And they've been around for almost 30 years. So it's just ridiculous. Yeah, well, of course. Anyway, so moving on, let's go over to our next film, and that is The Three Caballeros. Now, The Three Caballeros, kind of like leading up to what we saw in Saludos Amigos, they were definitely leaning more towards, wow, we were really interested and learned a lot from our trip over to all these other countries. Let's see if we can just utilize it just a little bit longer. So... In this one, we have Donald Duck who's celebrating his birthday, which makes a lot of sense because at the time, it would have been the anniversary of when Donald Duck was created. And you have back Jose Carioca again, and he's just introducing Brazil again and all the other countries. And then we have a new character who's introduced, which is a rooster named Panchito, who represents Mexico. And a lot of the people who were in the previous um segments of saludos amigos were able to make it into three caballeros including some new additions such as aurora miranda who is carmen miranda's sister no relation and dora luce who is a very well-known singer from mexico and then we have carmen molina who is a very well-known singer and dancer as well so yeah not really much in terms of story once again you just have a lot of segments going on where it's Donald's birthday and he's getting all of these presents and he learns about, you know, different tales of all the different countries that he's seen. You have one story involving with um, a little gaucho who gets um, a donkey who has wings. You have another one about the pinata. You have another one where you have a penguin who is um, wanting to go into warmer climates you have one where Jose is introducing um, Baya. You have one about Las Posadas, about Mexico celebrating Christmas. Um, you have a lot of segments where Donald is trying to get at girls, which is <laughs> kind of uncomfortable by today's standards. And then you have the final piece where you do get to see Dora Luz and Aurora Miranda singing and dancing while Donald is trying to get towards them. So... Yeah, it's definitely all over the place. Yeah, this is actually as far as the uh, yes, especially as far as the wartime cartoons go. Um, this was definitely one of the first uh Disney movies that I I, rem I specifically remember uh watching on VHS release. And I I'm going to admit, yeah, probably, and I'm willing to bet uh, this might be the case with quite a few other people. Uh. Probably the number one thing that most people, if you've watched this film, that most people will remember are just the full animated segments with Donald and Jose and Panchito. That yeah. being said, obviously, those three characters combined together 
did have a lasting impact in the, of themselves because I could tell you uh, in just the more recent years that I managed to um, attend Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World, uh, those characters actually still featured prominently in a number of the parades that often uh, march down Main Street in either one of those parks. Also, the fact that I know for I know for certain that um the characters were used in a lot of the Disney comics. I mean, I, I think I've actually purchased uh at least via Amazon Prime of its, its Amazon Kindle that is uh one of the compilation books of Don Rosa's comics where he did did release at least one story one story that involved the the three characters reuniting and then of course they've been brought back in even more recent years they were featured in one episode of the rebooted DuckTales series and then of course got their own uh, separate series the legend of the three caballeros who which unfortunately seems to be off disney plus now almost as soon as it uh debuted yeah sad to say I, I I remember when that show was turned, you know, was 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 featured, and I remember a lot of people were like saying, "Wait a minute, why isn't this show more available for us to watch?" Because it was only selected countries that were able to get this, and there was a push from all the animation fans saying that they wanted to actually have access to it. And for a while, we did get access to it on Disney Plus, and then they just took it out again for reasons I, I don't even understand why. Anyway, but yeah, it's kind of funny that these three characters would become pretty iconic and would be featured not only in the attractions at Disney World and Disneyland, but was also featured in Roger Rabbit and also in an episode of House of Mouse where there were cameos. And yeah, they were prominent uh, a few times over the years, even though that technically Panchito only shows up in this movie. We see Jose and Donald one more time. But this is the last time that we would see Panchito because later on in the other movie we're going to be talking about later, they have the Arukam bird, which is um, a bird that is kind of like Woody Woodpecker, where he's like really crazy and just all over the place and trying to help out Donald and Jose and Panchito. So, yeah, it's just kind of funny that, you know, all of this, even though that technically Jose was in Saludos Amigos first, this is the one that everybody remembers that they were a part of as a group. Yeah, so I would say that if you're interested in checking it out, I would probably do what um, Chris has done, in which I would just see it as like segments because that's what they essentially are. They're just segments that are just strung together. If you watch it by its own right, it's all over the place. But if you watch it like individually, it's actually a lot of fun. May actually be even more of the case with some of the others we're about to get into as well. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's get into that, shall we? So let's see of our next movie. So we have Make Mine Music. Now, I have no idea why, but this is the only one out of the Disney films that is not up on Disney Plus. I still don't understand why. I guess maybe well, I the- may have uh, one possible theory. As okay. to that. In fact, I almost want to say, well, I'll double check. I know, well, I know it got a, a VH, it got a DVD release earlier in here. And mm-hmm. this is something I'll, I'll, I'll talk about. This is actually the first, okay, this is definitely of, I think was the first and maybe only <laughs> wartime cartoon movie, wartime full-length movie that I actually got to see 
well, more somewhat in full, and I'll get to that in a bit, uh, on when it aired on the Disney Channel, in addition to uh, seeing m- most of the individual segments um, that were that were featured in this in this thing, which is all the cats join in, Casey at the bat, Peter and the wolf, Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebon and the like. Those were also among the uh, segments that were eventually split off and put to, into those compilation uh, shows that I mentioned earlier. That being said, there is, of course, one that has been very, let's just say, been very much difficult to find. I think this is why Make My Music has not yet been released on Disney+. Plus. Because especially with the with the even with the DVD releases, apparently the very first segment of the original release of the movie, the Martins and the Coys, was removed from all other feature, uh, all other distributions of this film. It's basically a it's basically like like a musical rendition of. The, the infamous feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys, more or less. And apparently there was a number of object, public objections to how the Ozark hillbillies and whatnot were per- portrayed in this thing. So they actually ended, so it was stripped from any more re-releases, and I'm willing to bet, uh, especially with the release of Disney+, Plus, there may have been uh, a, just a decision by the people behind the scenes that it might just not be in much trouble to release this thing because if one way or the other, there's going to be a controversy as to whether it's released in full and or released without, without the uh, censored segment, which by the way, I was actually able to find by the way. And I actually was able, to, I myself just know I was able to purchase myself a, a, a secondhand a dvd copy of the movie which didn't have the martins and the coys but then i was able to do some digging and found an online copy of that segment and was was with was able to put together probably the closest thing to a restored version of the full-length movie at least for my own personal collection mm-hmm. yeah and i can kind of see why they cut it because I mean, up even without that, you know, depiction of the stereotypes of the Hatfields of the McCoys being like, oh, wow, you know, you have these two feuding families and we're just going to fight and shoot and kill everybody. It's easily the worst short of them all. Like, oh, my goodness. I was just cringing myself just watching it again, can understand why they decided to cut it off, especially since in recent years, the Hatfields and the McCoys have since, you know, put away their feuding selves and are now in peace with one another. So I'm sure even they're kind of uncomfortable with it, but I digress. Anyway, so let's talk about the other segments. So the first one is the Blue Bayou, which originally was supposed to be for Fantasia. They were able to add it in and they replaced it with the Ken Darby singers, where originally it was supposed to be uh, Claire de Lune. So the performance of that, I can definitely tell that it was originally supposed to be Fantasia because the animation style looks very akin to what they would have added in with Fantasia with the colors and the lighting. Uh, It definitely looks so much different than all of the other ones. But um, I'm sure that there is like uh, an original version of that somewhere online that you can find. But other than that, I thought it was 
fine. It's not the best one that they had, but it's still pretty to look at. But yeah, the music just feels so out of place with it. And then you have all the cats join in where it's basically a segment where you have these teenagers and they're going over to the malt shop and they're going to be dancing and drinking malts and having ice cream and dancing to music. And then you have uh, Without You, which is a lost love song. You have Casey at the Bat, which is based off of a really well-known poem by Ernest Thayer. It was about an arrogant ball player who's just so cocky that he's going to do so great when in the end he doesn't. Then you have two silhouettes, which are rotoscope ballet dancers. You have the Peter and the Wolf, which is a very well-known Russian ballet. And then you have After You've Gone, which is... Uh, segment involving with instruments that are just um, parading. Then you have Johnny Fedora and Alice Blue Bonnet, which are two hats that fall in love with each other. And then finally, the whale who wanted to sing at the Met, where it's about a sperm whale named Willie who is just really talented with singing opera. Nobody believes that he can. And you have a guy named Teddy Taddy who thinks that the whale, the reason why he was able to sing very well is because he actually ate opera singers and they're trapped inside. Very similar to a lot of the segments uh, that we're going to be pointing out with the other films that are essentially anthology films. It's a mixed bag. There's some that are clearly better than others. There's some that I just didn't really care about. And then there's some that are actually really good. And once again, you can probably watch them by themselves because... You know, watching them back to back to back, you can definitely tell that the quality is not up there with Fantasia. Right. And you, I, I think probably even uh, Disney itself in its later years, by, by, by later years, I mean, it's like when they eventually branched out into television and like they pretty much knew which uh, which segments worked and which which didn't just by the idea of what segments got into the rotation of those those animated uh, shows, compila compilation shows that aired on the Disney Channel, because I regular, because probably the ones that I saw more most frequently that aired on the Disney Channel were All the Cats Join In, Casey at the Bat, Peter and the Wolf, Johnny Fedora and Alice Blue Bonnet were probably the most uh, frequent ones. Of course, uh, Casey at the Bat was probably my favorite there. Which cra craziest thing was that that of course I always can. For the in my childhood, I always want kept thinking, wondering if it was the same character of that Casey, and of course another Casey that was actually in another animated film that I was actually surprised to double check and find out wasn't one of these uh in any of these uh of these anthology films in the wartime era, and that was the animated short of based off of the Brave Little Engineer Casey Jones. Mm -hmm. That because not only do they share the same name, they almost use the exact same character design, right? In, in both of those th things, so it was definitely a very confusing uh, <laughs> as a kid to see those two characters and wondering whether or not they were one and the same. I was actually, again, I was actually surprised to double check and realize that that segment was actually completely independent and not in any of these uh, upcoming anthology films. A little spoiler warning on that right yeah i definitely think that out of the 10 shorts that were featured my favorites were definitely casey of the bad peter and the wolf after you're gone and the whale who wanted to sing at the met 
I felt that those were the ones that I can definitely tell that they put a lot of work into it. And even though that even yes, technically Blue Bayou was originally supposed to be with Fantasia. But I, as I said earlier, animation's fantastic. Music just doesn't fit at all. And yeah, I think that the other ones that don't get played as much, there's a reason why. You could still watch them as its own right, or you can watch them in the compilation of Make Mine Music. But once again, it's pretty hard to find unless, of course, if you get the DVD or you look online. But yeah, I mean, because of several reasons, including the first short being pretty much omitted from subsequent releases, you're probably not going to expect it on Disney Plus anytime soon. Anyway, so let's go over to our next one. So Fun and Fancy Free. So this is the first of the ones that were featured into two shorts as opposed to one. You have Bongo and Mickey and the Beanstalk. So this one actually has Jiminy Cricket in this one. And he's going over and he's just singing about how, you know, everything is happy-go-lucky and everything is a-okay. He sees a doll and a teddy bear who are just really depressed and talking about how, yes, there's a lot of depression out there in the world, but there's always something that you can be able to find that'll cheer you up. Never give up on your dreams. And then you have him playing a record of the story of Bongo, which is narrated by Dinah Shore. And it's about a circus bear named Bongo who wants to be free from the circus after being constantly abused and just constantly having to perform every single time. He gets the opportunity to be free into the forest. He falls in love with a female bear named Lulubelle. And then he learns that in order for you to claim your love, you have to slap each other, which is... Uh, I mean, I know that they're not trying to say promoting domestic abuse, but still, I mean, the fact that you have to slap in order for you to say, I love you. It's yeah, that's kind of weird. And then you have like in the mixture, you have this uh, bear named Lumpjaw who is wanting to get at Lulu Bell and is trying to fight off against Bongo, giving me Bambi vibes for some reason. Mm. <laughs> and then you have um, Mickey and the Beanstalk, which is another segment where Jiminy Cricket goes over to a party and he sees a uh, puppeteer Edgar Bergen performing in front of a young girl who is actually we'll be talking about a little later on. Uh, Luana Patton, who's also in the other movie we're going to be talking about in just a moment. And he has his well-known dummies, uh, Charlie and Mortimer. And I'm sure that for anybody who has never seen this movie and you're looking at the designs of these puppets, if you're familiar with Jeff Dunham, who's a very well-known comedian with uh, puppets, this is where he got his inspiration from. Edgar Bergen was a very well-known ventriloquist. And a lot of the designs, you can definitely tell that Jeff definitely learned a lot from watching a lot of Edgar's performances. Even Mortimer looks like a proto-Bubba J. And Charlie has the personality of Peanut mixed with Walter. Anyway, so on that tangent, um, you have the story of Mickey and the Beanstalk where they live in a place called Happy Valley. And the reason why is because a harp is singing all the time 
and is able to, you know, have beautiful weather and the crops are growing and water's flowing and everything is a-okay. But then a giant comes in and seals a harp and then everything is just desolate. And you have three peasants named Mickey, Donald, and Goofy and they're just barely surviving and getting only scraps of food for them to eat. And then Mickey decides to sell the cow so that he can be able to get magic beans that'll make everything great. Donald throws it away. And then, of course, just like you would expect from the classic Jack and the Beanstalk story, the beans are actual magic beans. It grows into a giant beanstalk. They climb it up. And instead of a goose laying a golden egg, they find the harp and they have to confront the giant, who in this case, the giant is... He is a little bit angry and he's evil and greedy and stuff like that, but he's also very dolty and kind of, um, you know, trying to say that he wants to transform into like different animals and shapes and sizes. And once every animal that he turns into is pink, which, okay, you know, good on you. And so he took, um, he sees that he's being tricked by Mickey when he says turn into a fly because it was going to kill him, but he's not falling for it. And so he locks Donald and Goofy up into a box. Mickey has to save him. And then they finally got, get the harp. They finally confront the giant. They defeat him once and for all. And then it kind of ends with Edgar saying that, you know, Mortimer shouldn't be crying because the giant is dead when it turns out that, the giant is actually real and he's stomping all over Los Angeles to find Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. So <laughs> what an interesting ending. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, this is definitely another another one of the uh of the wartime films. That it actually took me a long time to to uh un to realize to learn that this this movie in of itself in its full in its full length actually existed. It's definitely another one of those movies that uh, we ne never learned to be among the library of their animated full-length movies for a long time. That being said, there was at least one segment that, again, I was able to see that because it was uh, repackaged and aired frequently on the Disney Channel, and that is, of course, the Mickey and the Beanstalk story. It actually, the as far as my, my rec, best of my recollection, it was edited out where all of the the part of the live action segments with Edgar Bergen and the and the and the dummies were taken out, and it just repackaged itself as just the animated short in of itself. So the scene is see, I never actually saw the last time I never saw the bongo shorts as well. So this is probably another case where they just looked at individually and figured, especially because of the characters involved, that the second of these two. Uh, short films was probably the way to go as far as repackaging and redistributing them and in the early days of television yeah and i could definitely see why it's not that bongo is bad it's just that when you have mickey and the beanstalk where you have the classic iconic duo of mickey donald and goofy and you know telling a classic story that a lot of people will be familiar with and having the magic of the giant and just the fact that it can get pretty depressing at times it was definitely the better of the two the two shorts and I think that the segments where Edgar Bergen was cut, again, I can completely understand that because, I mean, sure, you know, Edgar Bergen is a really talented ventriloquist, but when you take into account that you have a little girl and she's surrounded by an, a man with puppets and it just comes across as really creepy. So, yeah. Well, that, he, might, yeah that might be it. I'll, I'll, 
I mean, that may have had something to do with it. I also want to think that since the, that that particular segment was pro, was more or less used as a bridge in between uh, uh, crossing over the two short films, as it were, and if you were only going to air one of those, the the segment with with Bergen and Company really doesn't have any purpose anyway. Exactly. So just for just, just uh, editing it for time for, to help make it t- go more streamlined and smoother probably worked out for the best in any way. Yeah, I, I do agree. And I think that out of the, you know, the during the wartime era where you have like the two shorts together, it's not the best one. There's another one that actually happened a few years later, which ended up being much, much better. But we'll get to that later. Speaking of which, um, we have our next film, which is Melody Time. And this is another anthology film. Instead of 10, they have seven. And it's all uh, different segments where it plays off very similar to Fantasia. In fact, literally, according to Disney's official website, they even said this. In the grand tradition of Disney's greatest musical classics, such as Fantasia, Melody Time features seven classic stories, each enhanced with high-spirited music and unforgettable characters, a feast for the eyes full of wit and charm, a delightful Disney classic with something for everyone. So, yeah, they can say the fact that, oh, we're having more of Fantasia, except that we're making it shorter. Yeah, you can definitely tell. So let's go into the segment, shall we? So the first one is Once Upon a Winter Time, and it features a couple named Jenny and Joe who are ice skating and who are very lovey-dovey with one another, and you have a rabbit couple in between. There's an incident that involves with them falling down and Jenny and the female rabbit walk away from Joe and the male rabbit. They end up getting caught in thin ice and drifting away until Joe and the male rabbit try to rescue them. But then they get uh, deep into snow and then the animals come and rescue them. And they th- the, the females think that the male saved them. And so we have that ending. Then we have Bumble Boogie, which is about a bumblebee who is being chased around by music notes. The Legend of Johnny Appleseed is a retelling of the story of John Chapman, a.k.a. Johnny Appleseed, who was going around and planting apple trees. You have Little Toot, which is about a small tugboat who is constantly going into trouble, and he tries to redeem himself by saving a huge cruise ship from a massive rainstorm. You have Trees, which is about, well, trees and the different changes of the season that it goes through blame it on the samba which is donald and jose with the arucam bird and introducing the concept of the samba and as mentioned before that this is the last time that we'll see both jose and the arucam bird and then finally we have pecos bill which uh, we have roy rogers in this one and he's talking to bobby driscoll and luana Patton. And it's the story of Pecos Bill about how he was raised by coyotes and then he became the greatest rootinest tootinest cowboy in the world. And then he f- meets up with a beautiful cowgirl who is riding on a giant catfish named Slewfoot Sue. And around their honeymoon, she is bounced all over the place because she wanted to get um, a cushion in her back. And then all of a sudden it bounced so high that she ends up being stranded in the moon. So, yeah, I would say that this is definitely a much better package film than I would say Make Mine Music, especially since in Make Mine Music, I think that some of the segments, even the ones that are good, like Peter Wolf, 
it has way too much narration. I felt like it's it, it's over explaining. It felt like I could have just like had no explanation on it and just had the music and the animation with the characters play out. And I would have gotten the story no problem. But here, I think that they rectified it a little bit where it doesn't have as much narration. There still are a bit of it, but it's toned down. And also the music is able to help with telling the story. So I would say out of the, the shorts that I've seen, um, definitely some of my favorites were The Legend of Johnny Appleseed, Little Toot, uh, Blame It on the Samba, and Peko's Bill. And I think that definitely it's more consistent with, you know, having stories as opposed to just like music and then everything going all over the place. I think that this is a much more tightly knit um, uh, package film, although I wouldn't recommend it compared to, you know, Fantasia. Yeah, that and that being said, very much like similar to um, Make My Music. This was another case where, it, when the course when the Disney Channel was launched in the eighties, oh, there were only a, a select few of number of the sh of the of the segments and short films that were in this movie that ended up getting into their rotation. I know that I remember correctly that Once Upon a Winter Time specifically was put into this a Disney Christmas special that aired quite a bit during the holiday season back and in I, those I, days. Yeah, right. And I even talked about that in my uh, in my video where I looked back on the um, Walt Disney Christmas, a VHS tape that released in 1981. I actually talked about that on my YouTube channel for anybody who's interested in checking it out. Yeah. Uh, but besides that, I think the only other two uh, segments that I re remember regularly airing on the channel in, in my youth days were Little Toot and Pecos Bill. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually really surprised to look over this and see that they uh, made an animated short on The Legend of Johnny Appleseed because I don't remember, because uh, I just don't really recall watching that uh, back in those days, which just kind of surprised me that they didn't, um, apparently they wouldn't air that thing that frequently, but of course, they what they did air via was the much later individual short film on the legend of Paul Bunyan that yeah. was that 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 because it was released I think back around 1950 just shortly after this period ended. But yeah, it's definitely another case where they they probably took a look at what what they thought were the best ones of this short and decided that they would work best uh, for the, like I said when they re, when they repackaged and re released. Uh, a number of the classic theatrical cartoons for television distribution. Yeah, and it's actually interesting that you brought up The Legend of Johnny Appleseed because literally in the beginning of the segment, you have them introducing Paul Bunyan, John Henry, and Davy Crockett, which later on, Disney would be adapting. They had the Davy Crockett films. Uh, Paul Bunyan was aired in the 50s. John Henry, they had a um, segment of it in the 90s. So eventually they would have adaptations based off of these, you know, classic folklore characters. With the except, Well, I mean, Davy Crockett, and John Johnny Appleseed were based off of real people, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, more people are familiar with the legendary folklore of them more than their actual lives. And I think that the fact that it wasn't airing as much as, say, Little Toot or Pecos Bill is pretty surprising. I, I guess you're right. I mean, those would have been the more popular ones. And I guess with Little Toot, it's like, okay, you have 
you know, this little cute tugboat. And with Pecos Bill, it's like, okay, we have this, you know, rootin' tootin' cowboy. So I can see why it was a little bit more uh, popular, especially since, as you said earlier, it, it, it would air on the Disney Channel over and over and over again. And as mentioned before, Once Upon a Winter Time was included in the Walt Disney Christmas VHS compilation, which now that I have seen Melody Time and I've seen all the other shorts, Okay, I have to say that in the Walt Disney Christmas, I said it was my least favorite short because they also included the two Santa Claus shorts from the 30s. They included Donald's Snow Fight from the 40s, and they included um, Pluto's Christmas Tree in the 50s. So comparing all of that, it was definitely the weakest. Now, comparing it to Melody Time and knowing all of the other shorts that it was packaged along with, I would say it's middle of the road. I would say that it's probably one of the weaker ones. The weakest one, I think, is trees because it's so quick. It's just a bunch of trees that go through each season. But, the, I mean, I literally was, like, checking on my phone for messages. And then before I knew it, the segment was over. And it's like, whoa, that was really quick compared to all the other ones, which lasted for about maybe, like, seven or eight minutes. So, yeah, that one just left, a, like, so little impact on me. And Bumble Boogie is really nice. I mean, I'm glad that they were able to take a classic rendition of Flight of the Bumblebee and turn it into jazz. I thought that was really cool. But it's just something that I didn't really think stood out compared to everything else. So, yeah, once again, pretty inconsistent when it comes to the quality of the shorts. But it is better than Make Mine Music. And it is up on Disney+, Plus, so you can definitely check it out. Or, you know, probably do what Chris you know said earlier in the podcast where you can watch it individually and see you know the more uh, popular and classic ones and the other ones i don't think you would miss out on all right then so let's go over to our last film and that is the adventures of ichabod and mr toad so the Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad are compilations of two stories. You have The Wind in the Willows and you have um, the final one, which is The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. So The Wind in the Willows one is about J. Thaddeus Toad, who is always into the latest fad. And they call it, po what was it, like positive mania or something like that. So um, it's it starts off with him getting himself a gypsy wagon and a horse, and he's just really, really obsessed with it. But then he gets the concept of motor cars, and unfortunately, he doesn't have any money because he still hasn't even been able to pay off Toad Hall yet. So he decides that he was going over to a seedy bar, meets up with a guy named Mr. Wimpy, and then he says, I want to be able to trade off my haul in exchange for the motor car. And then, according to what the police says, the car was stolen and he gets arrested. And then when they were testifying him, Mr. Wimpy's basically saying, no, he just, I just, you know, he got a stolen car. And so he he's put up in jail. But then it turns out that when Mr. Wimpy was lying, he actually did get the deed. And the weasels were the ones who were under his leadership. And so they have to prove Toad's innocence. And so they have to steal the, the deed so that they can be able to clear up Toad's name. And so finally we have Sleepy Hollow, which is the story of Ichabod Crane, who is a teacher over in Sleepy Hollow, New York. And he falls in love with the beautiful daughter of Baltius Van Tassel, Katrina Van Tassel. But then there's also this love triangle with Brom Bones. And then you have this huge Halloween party that's happening. 
And then you have the infamous story where you have Ichabod riding into the woods and he is confronted by the Headless Horseman and he is never seen again. Comparing Fun and Fancy Free over to Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, it is a massive improvement because both of the stories are really, really good. Like Wind in the Willows is really funny and it has really lovable characters with Mr. Badger and Mr. Rat and Mr. Mole and Mr. Toad, Cyril. It has a bit of a twist involving with uh, Mr. Wimby actually being the one who was lying under court and then they have to go after them. I mean, it almost feels a little bit like Robin Hood in a way, where they were able to steal off the gold under Little John while he was sleeping. And then you have that confirmation where he's fighting off against, you know, the, you know, all the soldiers and the sheriff of Nottingham. Very similar, where you know they steal the the deed from Mister Wimby, and then finally, you know, they fight off against the weasels as they're trying to escape. Ichabod's story with The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, I think it's really nice to tune into around Halloween. It does have a bit of a slow burn, especially where you have him really interested in marrying Katrina because, her, you know, she comes from a rich family and by marrying her, he gets to be the one to have the money, which is pretty awful, by the way. But... I mean, you in a way, you kind of want to like rooting for Brom because it seems like he's the better guy, but I digress. So the scene that everybody remembers is when he's riding in the woods and he sees the headless horseman and he's being chased after. It's really creepy, has great atmosphere. The, the laugh of the headless horseman is just chilling. The colors really work with this. It's really really well done i would say that out of if there is any of the films that you need to tune into that came out during this era this is the one you should watch yeah definitely it's and and, and it's and as i point out this is probably the one film of this era where not just the full-length feature film but all of of course all of this only two all the segments were rebroadcast especially in the the television the television infancy of Disney as well. I was able to watch I, I, because this was the one where I saw each of these individually and then saw them as the original compilation. Obviously it, it got some um the, the movie the shorts like uh the the story of Mr. Toad remains uh very uh had a very much impact on the studio as well just from the fact that I think to this day there remains one of the rides at the Disney parks named after Mr. Toad. Mm -hmm. That alone just tell you just what type of an impact it is. Um, and yeah, it, it, uh, the Legend of Ichabod Crane is also definitely one that a lot of people probably have watched, uh, especially in Halloween. One thing I've always kind of liked about, about that particular short is that, of course, they never, the story never flat out suggests who the headless horseman actually was, but even as I watching it as a kid, it wasn't very difficult to probably figure out who that right. guy really <laughs> was. Yeah, I mean, if you do watch it, you do kind of get little hints of it. It doesn't like flat out say who the headless horseman is, but you kind of could put pieces of the clues together to find out, yeah, it was definitely this person, but. I mean, as for somebody who watched this for the very first time, like literally, I saw this for the very first time not too long ago, and I was really surprised with it. I mean, to be quite honest, I 
literally saw every one of these movies for the first time just a week ago. I've never fought my way to needing to watch all of these Disney movies compared to like any other Disney movies that came out in their respected eras. Like, you know, I've seen, you know, like Snow White many times and Bambi and Robin Hood and even the, the Disney Renaissance films I've watched endlessly over and over again. But as for the wartime era films, I never really sought my way to really wanting to tune into them because they never really interested me. And I did get a few surprises from some of the ones that I did get to see. So the fact that it was worth checking out, I would say it is, but I would say check it out once. There's no reason for you to like watch them over and over again. Like I'm probably not going to watch them ad nauseum compared to all the other Disney films on the list of other films that a lot of people tune into over and over again. But I would say watching them at least once, you do get a perspective of where Disney was at the time. And I would say that each and every single era, whenever they have their issues, they all have a context to why they were going through their issues, whether it be with the wartime era that a lot of the films were either packaged films or just two stories compiled into one. It was due to the fact that the European market was really limited due to the, you know, World War II and a lot of the Disney animators had to go into war. You have the, um, you know, the, the end of the silver era where the reason why that happened was because of the passing of Walt and and then the post-Renaissance era, that was when a lot of main competition with DreamWorks and Pixar started to come about. So, yeah, I know that out of all of the eras of Disney, and I looked this up on multiple sites such as Reddit and various forums, they said that if the... You know, if the wartime era wasn't one of the worst, it might be the worst. And I wouldn't say it's the worst, but I could say that it's definitely the weakest. I would it's, say that it's definitely it, it, it's definitely probably the 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 um era where, especially not just it, within the films themselves, but parts of parts of the films, it, it it's very hit and miss. That's the word I'm looking for because, like I said, uh, uh, unlike you, I got the, I saw as a kid, got to see bits and pieces of these films that, were, like I said, were repackaged and re-released uh, when the Disney Channel was in its infancy. And only later in my adult years figured, found out that they were actually part of these compilation films. And yeah, I would definitely probably recommend at least checking them out at least once. There might be one or two that maybe people would um, de de determine what was worth a second look eventually. But I will say this, like, if you do go and watch these films uh, eventually, eventually, especially in succession, there if there's there's one other thing I think everyone, if they haven't already, should check out immediately after watching all of these films, and that's Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh yeah, just for to sure. see how many of the characters that were in created in these films, especially particularly. Fun and Fancy Free and Ichabod and Mr. Toad, how many of those characters were basically end up were utilized in that one special short? It's probably going to be a, a really fun type of Easter egg hunt to witness for yourself. Mm hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say just for that alone, you should definitely check it. Check them out again. 
you wouldn't have to worry about watching them over and over again. And you wouldn't even have to worry about like having to watch them all in like one full film. If you are interested in checking out one of the segments, then I would say, you know, watch them individually. Or if you do want to watch them full, then just worry about having to watch them once because yeah, watching them back to back to back over the course of a week, like I did for the very first time, completely blind. I can definitely see where each of the quality was in terms of what they really wanted to focus on and which ones were pretty much an afterthought. So, yeah, I would say in terms of that, if I were to put like a ranking, I guess, you know, we haven't done this in the years that we've done our podcast of ranking the eras of films. This is probably like, in my opinion, at the bottom of the list. But that's not to say that it's the, you know, it's like really, really awful and you should never tune into it. It's just that it was at a, it was a different time. They were going through a lot of struggles and they were trying to put together the movies that they felt that it was the best with what they had in terms of budget and in terms of the amount of people that were around the studio, whether they left due to being fired from the strike or from the war then yeah it's pretty commendable that they were still able to continue on as opposed to like okay we're going to just shut down the whole um you know disney studios and we're just going to maybe wait until after the war where everything was back because you know in addition to all of these shorts they did a bunch of other things they were able to release like a lot of segments, uh, you know, such as like purchasing stocks and bonds and, you know, saving a bacon grease so you we could use it for glycerin so you can be able to have bullets. And, of course, you have the wartime shorts. <laughs> uh, that's another day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, but yeah, I think that overall, each of the, the films that I was able to tune into and see, I like I said, some of them really surprised me. And seriously, go watch the Adventures of Ichabod and Mister Toad. It's it's you know definitely a really good one to tune into if you, especially with this particular era. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is it for our discussion of the Disney wartime era film. So, Chris, once again, thank you so much for coming on by. Anytime, of course. All right. So, as usual, plug and promote your stuff. Well, we are, of course, at the time of this recording, just uh, uh, approaching the actual 13th anniversary of TV Trash. It will be, um, that that particular episode will be airing in about mid-February. And also, at the same time, I, I, I'm going to say this. I've got actually a bunch of new ideas for some new series uh, that are completely more connected to, will probably maybe maybe more connected to the Rowdy and Friends series as it is and my thing is just try to keep track of rowdyc.com whenever possible and see just what some of the new stuff i'm gonna have planned in the upcoming weeks and months there's a lot of stuff i wanted to do for quite a while and i'm finally starting to just get them involved and i'm just hoping it's going to provide a lot new type of variety for the website and all my channels and hopefully people can find to be quite enjoyable awesome and as for me, you can check out my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash old school lane. I'm on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash old school lane. I'm on Twitter at Patty underscore B underscore Miranda. You can check out the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, all those places. New episodes of the podcast will go there first, and then they'll go up in a few days on YouTube. If you are one of our new listeners and you are interested in learning more about the different eras of Disney, 
Uh, you can check out the Golden Era, which is on uh, the description box below. You can check out the Silver Era, which is the one that followed after the Wartime Era, which again is on the description box below. In addition to that, we've also covered the Renaissance Era, the Bronze Era, and the Post-Renaissance Era. So that means after all this time, we have one more era to talk about, and that is the one that's going on right now, the Revival Era. But we will have to wait another time for us to talk about it. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. Let us know in the comments below about your thoughts on the wartime era. What was your favorite? What was your least favorite? Have you seen them all together? Or have you seen them uh, compiled into separate shorts and aired on the Disney Channel? Uh, and also let us know about how would you rank the era of Disney films? Would you have it in the bottom, more mid, or were you actually one of the very few people who actually thought it was a good era? Let us know. That's it. Hope to see you around soon and take care.